Thanks for uh, reading that uh, passage for us this morning. We are, we're starting a new series that we're calling With, Evaluating the Way That We Relate to God. And I'm really excited about this series. But before I get into it, I want to say a couple things. First of all, my name's Jake. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, then I'm really glad that you're here and hope to get a chance to meet you after the service today. Thanks for coming on this morning. And uh, the second thing is you'll notice that on your seats, everyone had a, this flyer, Wrapping for Refugees. And this is something that a uh, ministry connected to our church, MT28, uh, many of you are familiar with that ministry that uh, Greg and Jan Riggs run. This is an awesome uh, thing that they're doing that we want to get everyone a chance to uh, uh, know about, a way that we can support the refugees and actually raise the money that we would send uh, through uh, to the refugees in Turkey, the Syrian refugees there, that uh, uh, they've got, NT28 is connected to churches in Turkey that are taking care of Syrian refugees there, and we can help provide uh, a lot of uh, uh, materials and stuff like they need to help them survive the winter and all that stuff. So anyways, pay, uh, read this, check it out. There's more information online, and uh, it's a neat way uh, for us to serve uh, the greater body of Christ and, and uh, reflect God's heart for the refugee. So anyways, very cool. So check that out. Now, um, having said that, get into this, this series. Uh, I'm, like I said, I'm really excited about uh, the, the uh, four weeks we're going to spend on this topic uh, we're just calling with, evaluating the way that we relate to God. And this, uh, this really comes out of, has been heavily influenced by a book by a guy named Sky Jathani. Usually we don't do a series that are topical. We usually, you teach through the Word of God, but every once in a while we'll do a topical series. This, for Advent season, we're doing a topical series. And it's really more of a theological bent to it, taking a key theme throughout Scripture, the way uh, the theme being how God had created us to relate to him and the kind of relationship he wants for us to uh, enjoy with him. And we're going to just spend some time talking about that. And again, I, that this series has been heavily influenced by this book. So we have this book out on the resource table if you want to uh, pick it up. Um, we're not being paid by him to, to uh, promote this or anything like that. But anyways, I read this book over the summer uh, and it has had a profound impact on my life and in my relationship with God. And so all, all uh, since the summer, I've been looking forward to doing this series, uh, hopeful that it would, uh, God will use it to also really impact your relationship, uh, with Him. And so, um, anyways, the, uh, A.W. Tozer once said, famously, it was one of my favorite quotes. He says, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And I, I think that's really a profound statement. Because what you think about when you think about God it impacts, of course, your idea of God. But it also impacts how you will relate to him based on who you think he is, right? And that's going to also impact so many different areas of your life. And the sad truth is, is that often when we think about God, we don't think about God according to who he really is. And therefore, we don't relate to him the way that he has created us to relate to him. Most of us, like think about Christmas time, uh, most of us at this time of year, it's drawn out that we can think about God as some kind of divine Santa Claus, right? That he's he's up in heaven and he's got his list 
And he's checking it twice. He's trying to determine if you've been naughty or nice. He's going to bless you or reward you accordingly. And if you listen to many of our prayers, it sounds like we're just crawling up into God's lap and we're telling him the list of all the things that we want. God, will you give me the job? God, will you give me good health? God, will you give me the promotion? God, will you give me, and it's like, here's the list of all things I want you to bring for me. There's certainly nothing wrong with telling God what you want, but if you primarily relate to him as some kind of divine Santa Claus in the sky, then then you're missing out on all that God is. That's certainly not all that he is. It's interesting, in this book, Sky Jathani wrote, he, he cites the study that the sociologist did at the University of North Carolina and Christian Smith. And in Christian Smith, at this study, he studied teenagers, how teenagers viewed God. And what he concluded is that most of them had a view of God as either a divine butler there to tend to your needs or desires or a cosmic therapist there to make you feel better. In other words, and here was a a really great insight in the studies. In other words, uh, people were much more interested in what God could do for them than in who God was in himself. When asked why the teens viewed God as a butler or a divine therapist, Smith said it was because most of their parents held to that same understanding of God. Isn't that interesting? Can you relate to that? truth is, I think that's a very common way for us to relate to God. That we, we're so much more interested in what God can do for us than in God himself. And when we relate to God that way, then we relate to God as if he is a means to an end instead of an end in himself. And when put that way, all of us recognize, I would think, like, oh man, that's not good, right? But so often we relate that way. And there's two, just, I mean, just point out, like, two huge dangers to this, right? One is that this, this is, this is in, incredibly dishonoring to God. Because we're not worshiping God. We're worshiping what God can do for us. And what, whatever we're worshiping more, what God can bring us, then that, that's the thing we're worshiping. Another term for that would be that's the idol. And we're actually asking God to be the means to bring us the idol that we would rather worship. That's really dishonoring to God, isn't it? And in addition to that, though that's you know, bad enough, in addition to that, it, it, this also, the danger of this is, is that this leads to our great dissatisfaction. That most of us enter into a relationship with God through Christ with the hopes that we would experience this really uh, deep, intimate relationship with God, right? We'd enjoy God, that we would know God. That we would uh, be, uh, you know, we probably wouldn't use these pastoral terms, but we'd be like a sheep that was that has this relationship with this really loving shepherd, cared for, nurtured by God, intimate, loving, enjoying re- Him. And yet, somewhere along the way, things get out of order, and we end up wanting more of what He can do for us than Him Himself. And we look to these things that He can bring us to satisfy us, but they never do. Because these things don't ultimately satisfy us. He does. See, we were created for him, not these things. And the sad thing is, is that we are actually looking to the things that he can bring us to satisfy us when it's the one who's bringing it is the one that can actually satisfy. We treasure what he can do for us when really the greatest treasure is him himself. But we're left with this dissatisfaction in the and these things we're, we're looking for him to do for us. 
because they were never meant to fully satisfy us. Each of those things he can bring us is a good thing, but he's the best thing. So we're left dishonoring him and we're left dissatisfied. So in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at these uh, four common relational postures. Four common ways that we relate to God where we're actually trying to use God to bring us the thing that we truly treasure instead of treasuring him himself. And with these four common relational postures, again, all influenced by uh, this, this book with, by Sky Jathani, he lays these out in a really helpful way. Uh, he uses these four uh, different prepositions, and um, it's, it just helps it be memorable. He talks about where we look from, uh, to do life under God, life above God or over God, life from God, or life for God. And each one of these prepositions, each one of these uh, postures and how we relate to God, there's an element of truth to them where it's a good thing. But when we make that the primary way we relate to God, our posture, if you will, gets uh, out of, out of, uh, what's the, out of alignment. And it's, or make much out of one aspect of God, missing all of who God is, treasuring something he can do for us instead of treasuring him himself. Now, I know that's abstract, but follow along with me, and I'll lay these out for us, and we can evaluate a little bit on where, uh, what posture perhaps describes you the most accurately. If you're like me, a number of these will unfortunately stick out to you, but one of them might pop out more than any others about the key way that you relate to God. Um, so, if you follow along in the outline, the outline is this. Four ways we often relate to God. Uh, the way that God wants us to relate to him. And then how to change the way we relate to God. So let's look at these four ways we often relate to God. The first is this uh, life under God. And this posture, you like this drawing? This is a work of art right here. Life, uh, life under God. This posture describes someone who is primarily concerned with appeasing God by obeying him. Thinking that by obeying God's command, God will bless us and be on our side. And so life under God posture primarily just sees a relationship with God in simple cause and effect terms. And you're just constant, you're just concerned with knowing what God approves of or disapproves of so that you can stay in what he approves of. And if he, if you do, if you, if you're doing life the way that he wants you to, you're obeying his rules, then God is obligated to bless you, to bless you, to bless your family, to bless our nation. It's this kind of thinking. And so you think, okay, uh, I just need to make sure that I know the rules and I'm doing them. And if I do, then God will do this. God will have to come do this. Or if I do this, then God will do this to me. And I don't want that to happen. So you, that's the way you relate to God. Let me give you an example from Jesus' day when he got onto the Pharisees for relating in this way. In, in Mark chapter 7, he says uh, to the Pharisees who were so concerned with following every single rule, right? I mean, they had all of the extra rules on top of the rules about how to keep God's rules so that God would bless them, is what their thinking was. And in Mark 7, verse 6 through 7, uh, Jesus says this to them. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, hey, like, you're so concerned about what to do, what not to do. You, you, you worship me with your lips, but in, in this kind of relationship, you're far from me. Your heart is far from me. 
You make much about the rules, but you are worshiping me in vain. They treat God as this cause and effect relationship. I do the right things, he has to do this. The, um, the main reason, and I feel like this is really interesting, but true for me when I find myself relating to God in this way, the reason I go to this posture is because I think that if I obey God's rules, then he will have to bless me and not punish me. And I do this because what I'm really treasuring is a sense of control. You get that? You ever have something that you really want to go well, and so you make sure that everything's good with you and God, right? Like, okay, if everything's good with me and God, then he'll, he'll help this go well. That's one of the clues, one of the tests that you can say to determine if you evaluate God primarily out of this posture or often out of this posture. Is if you think, if, if I'm obeying God, then he has to bless me. If that's how you relate to God, then that's a clue that you're relating him from, clearly from this posture. Life under God. And you're doing it because you value, most of all, control. Instead of God himself. Okay? Follow me? Give me something to chew on. I know it's like right after Thanksgiving and you're like, all right, I don't know if I'm ready to think this deeply, but try to stay with me. All right. Next one is this. It's life from God. I'm sorry, life over God. Sorry, don't skip ahead. Life over God speaks to the idea that if we follow the right principles, then we, then that will guarantee a successful or a good life. In this case, uh, we use God as a source of practical help or wisdom or advice that will help you succeed in life. In this view, God is the law writer. He's the principal creator, or another, put another way, he's the watchmaker. That he uh, created the world, and he set in emotions with a certain, uh, set in emotion with certain principles of how everything works. And if you can just figure out those principles, then you can live an effective, successful life. And in that, it's called life over God because you don't actually need God in this view of relating to God. All you need is to figure out how he set things up to work and then you don't need him. You just follow that plan and that will give you success in life. Certainly this is the uh, you know, religious view of life over God. There's a non-religious view of life over God that just dismisses that there's a God at all and you just rule over all, you know, just do things your way. But the religious view is that says there is a God but I don't really need him. I just need, I just need to know how he set things up and then I'll just follow that way. It's interesting that oftentimes we can read the Bible this way. So when you, when you're reading God's word and the main question you're asking is, what does this mean I need to do? then you're reading it through the grid of, I'm just looking for the principles. I'm just looking for the direction. And if I go that way, then I'll be set. And you don't really need God at all. You just see the Bible as this divine manual, this divine instruction manual for life. And if I just know that, then I'm set. And you could just have that without God, and you'd be good in in that view. But that's messed up, right? I mean, that's not Christianity. That's the best. That's some kind of form of Christian deism. Jesus really got on to the Pharisees for this view. In John chapter 5, 39 through 40, he said this, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And Jesus is saying, look, man, this, this, the word of God, 
It speaks of me, ultimately. And the way you get life, the one that you really want, the thing that you really want is me, and it points to me, and you're just looking at it as if everything, it's, you know, that's the answer. When really, it just points to the answer. Jesus. One uh, clue or test for you to determine if, you're a value, if, if, if you relate to God from this posture of life over God is if, like I said, you, you, you're reading God's word just simply to know what to do, what it tells you to do, instead of ever asking the question, what does this tell us about, or tell me about what God is like, about who God is? Now, the reason that we have, like, go to this posture is because what we want is really to be effective or successful in life. And there's certainly the truth to this, that God is our all-wise God. And his rules and his principles are, are true for all time. If you know them, then that's going to, man, you're going to live according to God's ways, and that is a life of blessing. Absolutely. But what you want more than God himself is success in life. And you dismiss God. You just need the principles. If I just have the principles, then I can have what I really want. And so you don't need him. You treasure success, okay? That's the second one. That's life over God. The, sec- the, the uh, third posture, and you could really contrast life under God, life of, over God. Uh, and then the next two you can contrast as well. This is life from God, and the, thir- the fourth one would be life for God. So from God is this idea. In, in life from God, you rightly relate to God as your provider, but that's the primary or only way that you, rely, that you relate to him. This posture makes him into a divine vending machine uh, to give us what we really desire. The people who relate to God in this way want God's blessings and gifts, but they are not particularly interested in God himself. A clue that you relate to God in this way is if uh, things are going well for you, When things are going well for you, your intimacy with God greatly decreases. Because you don't really need him. You just want what he can bring you. And when he's brought you what you've wanted, then you don't need him any longer. And so you don't spend much time with him. You just relate in as if life, you get life from God. You don't need God himself. You, you're treasuring comfort or gifts, or blessings, what he can bring you over, he, over him, himself. Uh, God warned the nation of Israel not to fall into this. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, 11 through 14, when he talking to them about what not to do, and they're in the promised land, he says, Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God, by not keeping his commandments, and his rules, and his statutes which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when, you, uh, when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, and like things are going really great for you, and your, heart, and your heart is lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of, of slavery. And God is saying, hey, when, you fi- when you finally settle in the promised land, don't forget about me. When you have what you want, still remember me. But the primary, but if you primarily relate to life, I mean to God in this life from God posture, you won't remember him for when you have what you want, you don't need him anymore. Do you, does that ring true for y'all sometimes? Man, it does for me. 
I hate that. But it, it really is helpful to recognize, man, that it's because I'm treasuring something more than God. And when he brings me what I'm really treasuring, then I don't need him anymore. Man, how messed up is that? Now, this next one is contrast to it, and it's still, it's really wild. This is the one, uh, the life for God posture is the one that I resonate with the most. Um, for life for God, sees, a, uh, sees a life as uh, being all about God's mission. And that in this posture, you, you primarily relate to God based on what uh, you are doing for him. And so a clue that you may relate to God primarily out of this posture is that when you're asked to evaluate how your relationship with God is, what you primarily think about is what you're doing for him or the effectiveness of your ministry for him. It's about uh, you and how you're aligned with his mission more than it is about him himself. Now, we'll get into this in a minute, but like that's, there's good to that, right? I mean, we're called to live for the glory of God. Absolutely. And most of our heroes in the faith, if not all of our heroes in the faith, are people who've, who've done much for and sacrificed much for God. And like, that's what I'm drawn to. But here's where things get sideways. Is that when you live for God primarily out of this uh, tre- treasuring what that does for you, which what that often I look for that to do for me is to bring me a sense of significance or meaning or purpose. And I think, okay, I'm going to be all about what I do for God because when I'm really doing a lot for God, then I feel like I'm significant. I feel like I've got purpose to my life. I feel good about myself. And that's treasuring what living for God can bring me more than actually treasuring God and being compelled by God to live for him. That's two different things. That primarily, if what I'm after is this sense of significance, then I'm not after God. I'm after what living for God can bring me. And man, I'm guilty of that. One of the ways that this shows up, another clue, if this is you, would be, uh, man, if you're so much more of a doer for God than, than a worshiper of God. If when you look at your relationship with God and it's all about what you're doing for him, but you're consistent just time just with him, being still before him and knowing that he's God. If that, is, is the, if that lacks, then that's a sign that, man, you're really moved to live for him as opposed to the way that he ultimately wants us to relate to him which I'll get to in a second. Now, let me quickly say, um, all of these have a good aspect to them. You think about life under God? Certainly God has rules of how to live, and he's a holy God, and we should live according to those. Uh, we think about uh, the, the life above God recognizes God's wisdom and that he does have principles in life, and he's all wise, and so we should look for those and live according to them. And we think about life uh, from God. Well, certainly God is our generous God who loves to give us good gifts, and we should not be ashamed in asking him for things and look to him for those things. That's a, a good thing, and certainly God is a missional God 
God, a sending God. And so he sent his son and then he sends his spirit and he sends us and we should be on mission for him. All of those are good things. But when we make any one of those the primary way we relate to God, then we are often can be looking for something from God and valuing that instead of valuing him in himself. He becomes, he can become a means to an end. And ultimately, the, the, the reason that the, that uh, relating primarily in any of those different postures is uh, missing something. It's because none of those postures were the primary way that God created us to relate to him. See, the way that God wants us to relate to him and the way that he wants to relate to us is best summed up with the word that we're using for this series, the word that Guy Jathani used for his book. It's the word with, with, life with God. And man, with is a beautiful word, isn't it? With, with speaks of communion. It's, it, it speaks of intimacy, relationship, friendship. Life with God. See, the reason that God created us to ultimately relate to him out of the primary posture of life with him is because God himself is a relational God. And the mind-altering, twisted, you know, doctrine of the Trinity. It's hard to get your mind around that God's three persons, but one God, one God, three persons. Is this. That it tells us that God has eternally existed within a relationship. That he's a personal, relational God. That for all of eternity, the, the Father has been with the Son and the Spirit. That the Son has, for all eternity has been with the Father and the Spirit. That the Spirit for all eternity has been with the Father and the Son. And when God created us, we're told in Genesis 1, 26. Uh, let me just read it for us. He created us in his image. In fact, it says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let, and, let, uh, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And when God created us in his image, he created us to be, to be able to relate with him, which is, incre- is absolutely incredible. And we're told in Genesis 3, we're hinted at that, that God would come in the cool of the evening and actually walk on earth with his creation with Adam and Eve in the garden. And that this is a type of relationship that we were created to enjoy with God, to be with him as we ruled over the earth with him. And then, if you skip from the very beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible, we're also told in Revelation 21 that the story ends this way. It says, Revelation 21 verse 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Sky Jathani in his book puts it this way. He says, if the Bible were the script of a play, both the opening scene and the final act of this drama would focus on God's desire to live and rule with his people. And friends, you could add to that that the climax of the story is when God himself became man to live with men 
all of mankind, to enable us through his death and resurrection to once again be reconciled to him so that we can be with him. Is that not a fascinating storyline of the Bible? Guys, this is the relationship that we were created to enjoy with God. It's a relationship primarily spent with, not under, not above, not from or for, but ultimately and primarily with. Guys, that's where Christmas comes in. The passage that Brent read this morning, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Let me just read it again. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, Jesus coming as our Emmanuel, God with us, is not just a statement of who he is, but also of his purpose. That by nature, Jesus being God was with us, but he was also with us so that he, through his death and resurrection, could forgive us of our sins so that we could ultimately once again be with God and relate to God the way that he created us to relate to him. And through faith alone in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, you are reconciled to God and you are brought into a relationship with him. To the point that we're told that God actually comes to live with you. And the Holy Spirit coming and abiding in you. So that once, one day when Christ returns, or you go home through Christ, you will spend all of, your, all of eternity with God. This is the relationship God wants with us. But is that the word that you would use to describe the primary way you relate to God? When you think about how you relate to him, is it with him? Or is it under him? Or is it above him or over him? Is it from him or for him? Or something else. Maybe there's one that's being left out. Or is it with? In this series, we're going to spend some time talking about what that looks like. Okay? But for now, I want to leave you with this. To begin relating with God the way that he wants us to relate to him, it, 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 it starts with thinking through what you treasure. 
See, the, to, to really be with anything, you can break it down to three really simple and, and, and super simple practical steps. And I'm trying to make this not to be too abstract for us. I even drew up these, like these, I know these are incredible drawings, but the, the first thing you begin with is like to, to be with something, you have to first picture that thing, right? And you had to want that thing. Then you begin to treasure that thing. So if you want a car, you first got to decide you want the car. You want a sports car, and then you start thinking about the sports car, and you think about what, how great that sports car is, and you're motivated to do whatever you need to do to be with that sports car. So you begin treasuring it. And guys, what happens often in the Christian faith is that we have such a, we have such a poor view of God that we regularly fail to treasure Him. We know what we want. We want the things that he can do for us. But guys, the things that he can do for us, they aren't really what we want. We want the one that can do those things for us. We want God himself. But rarely do we think about that. What we need is a clear vision of who God is. And the more accurately we see who God is, the more we will treasure him. You think, well, how do I get a real accurate view of who God is? It's in the person of Jesus. God himself, God with us. And the fullness of deity dwelled in him. And when you see Jesus and you read through the Gospels, you see how everyone was just clamoring and climbing over themselves to be around him. Why? Because they were getting a picture of what God is like. Everyone wanted to be with him. But we don't. (laughs) We have a poor view of who he is. Look to Jesus. You get a picture of how great God is. I've begun having read this book to, to take time throughout the day and just say statements to God about uh, what I find uh, a beautiful or, or a more manly way to say it, awesome about him. Um, and so like on Thanksgiving, sitting around eating a great meal with my family and my mother-in-law, father-in-law, and just to think, just to say, God, you're, you're awesome. God, you're so kind to me. Look at this family. Look at this spread of food. You're so generous, God. I love that about you. You're so generous. You're so kind. You're so loving. I was driving home from Houston last night, and it was raining, and it was freezing. My truck doesn't have a heater, and it's defrost. The, the, the window was frosted up, or not frosted, but fogged up, and I'm having to blast my defroster on cold and keep the window down so that it would, I mean, it's like, and so I'm thinking, and I'm passing this 18-wheeler on 290, and I think, God, you're, you're so strong. <laughs> you're protecting me, because uh, I'm trying to kill myself, clearly, while driving home right now. No, my kids weren't in the car, just to let you know. I was just driving myself. But I, I should have pulled over, but I didn't. I'm just thinking, God, you're so strong. You're, you, you, you are saving me <laughs> right now. Thank you. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for your grace. You got to get a picture of God to treasure him. And once you start thinking, treasuring him, how great he is, then to, to be with him, you have to be actually united to him. You have, you have to unite, right? So that's, I think that's the next one. Yeah. And guys, here's how you unite with God. It's also through the person of Jesus. If you've never placed your, your faith alone in Christ, death and resurrection for you, your relationship with God begins by you just saying, God, I recognize that I am a sinner. And my sin has separated me from you. And I need you 
I need Jesus, your death for me. And I believe you rose again. And I'm trusting in you alone to save me from my sins. You tell God that. You believe that. You're united with God through Christ. But friends, oftentimes for, the, for us, having believed the gospel, we only view the gospel as something that is a means to an end. It's, it's the gospel's purpose is to get you out of hell. That's how we often talk about the gospel, right? But when doing that, we reduce the gospel, again, like to this means to an end. And the purpose of the gospel isn't to get us out of hell, though it certainly does. But the purpose of the gospel is to get us reconciled, reunited with God. The ultimate blessing of the gospel is that we are united with God. Our greatest treasure. And when you remember how you've been united to Christ, uh, to God through Christ, then you can recognize that you have this ability to be with God right now. So as you treasure him and you recognize what Jesus has done for you, then you realize you've been united with him already. And then that allows you to do the last thing that if you've got a car you want, then you got it, you treasure it, then you unite with it, and then you get to experience it. You get to enjoy it. And that's how it is with us, with God. You get to have your wind blowing, hair blowing in the wind. It's awesome. So you get to be with God, experiencing him. Again, this is only possible through Jesus. See, Jesus has made it possible for us to experience God in the everyday. One, he modeled it for us. You look at Jesus' life and you see how he lived in constant communion with the Father. And we follow that example. But we can follow that example because he's also empowered us to do the same by giving us his spirit to live with us. That we are with God. And we can enjoy this communion, this continual fellowship with God. That So oftentimes we reduce our relation with God down to whether we spend 15 minutes with God in the morning in the Bible, reading the Bible and, and prayer. And certainly it's no less than that. But it's so much more than that. When we experience this communion with God's spirit in the everyday and every moment. We're going to talk about that in this series. But first, guys, you've got to begin treasuring him. Treasuring him. And to do that, to just help us begin doing that. We're going to end with taking communion. As we take communion, what we remember is Christ's death and his resurrection for us. His body broken for us. His blood spilled for us. That we think about the, the, the great lengths that God was willing to go to to enable us to be reunited with him. And as we hold the bread and we hold the cup and we take that, let us, let us just think, God, what incredibly kind God you are. God, what an incredibly gracious God you are. What an incredible loving God that you are, that you would die for me when I turn my back on you. God, what, what a patient God you are, that you would wait for me. You would draw me 
slowly, kindly, gently into a relationship with you. God, you are gentle, you're kind, you're merciful, you're loving. Tell God, treasure God as you reflect on the blood and the bread and the blood. And then treasuring him, take communion. And this week, may we continue to treasure him that we would long to be with him and rejoice in the fact that because of what Christ has done for us, we can. We can be with him. So when you're ready, in this time of worship, uh, come up and take the, the bread and the cup. We just simply ask that, that uh, you do this if you're a Christian, if you've placed your faith alone in Christ, um, then this is open to you. If you haven't, then here's a chance to just reflect on whether that's true and ask God, to convince you the lengths of what he has been willing to do that you could be with him. Let's pray. Yeah, we we thank you for being the great and amazing God that you are. That you are everything we could ever hope for or imagine. That you are our full portion. That who in heaven do we have but you? Where nothing on earth can satisfy us like you. And yet, God, we confess that we so often look to other things. And Lord, even ashamedly, we we look to you to bring us other things that we think can satisfy us, that we look to to be our ultimate treasure. God, will you help us turn from that and repent? That we would recognize you're the greatest treasure. That you and you alone are all that we long for. And that you and and Christ have loved us with the love that we've always hoped for. Unconditional, always accepting, perfect love. As we reflect on, on the communion and we take the bread and the cup, may you move us to treasure you more and more. We love you, God. Thank you for loving us. Amen.